This is Real Estate Rookie episode 366. Today, we are bringing on Amina Stevens. So she is a former teacher and turned into a full-time real estate investor and agent. And she's gonna talk to us about her market, Tampa Bay, Florida. She's also the host of the First Time Buyers Club, which is a TV show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. This is where she guides some first-time home buyers, like a lot of you guys, through every stage of the journey to build wealth and reduce the housing disparity in her own community. She makes the dream of the home ownership a reality for everyone. And I didn't make that up. That's a tagline from her own show. I'm Ashley, and I am joined with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. Now, obviously, Amina's built a very successful real estate business today, but she started off in a super safe, super secure career that a lot of people wouldn't have had the confidence to step away from. And we want to get into how she made that leap. But first, Amina, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Hi, thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited to talk to the rookies. You know, we were all there and, you know, every day there's something to learn. So I'm excited to be here. So, Amina, if I'm not mistaken, you started off with a career that a lot of people go into spend 20, 30, sometimes 40 years retire from. You stepped away from that. So what was that career? What was the the motivation, the spark to leave that and get into real estate investing? You know, I got into teaching because I grew up in a family of educators and I loved education and I love learning. And, you know, it just seemed like the right thing to do. But, you know, uh, as the sooner I got, the closer I got to getting into education, the more I started hearing people like my mom, who was a teacher, say, hey, you know what? You might want to, you know, think about something else. But I couldn't figure out what else I would want to do. So I got into teaching and I absolutely loved teaching. But I realized what she meant, um, that the system of, of education is different, you know. And I realized that I love teaching, but I didn't love being a teacher. So... I, at the time I was teaching 12th grade, I taught 8th, 10th, and 12th grade. And um, I realized that I was helping them, you know, fill out their resumes and, and apply to colleges. And I was helping them follow their dreams, but I wasn't following my own. So I realized, like, I'm not quite, this is not quite the right fit. And um, the final straw was when I had a lesson plan that I did for administration where, you know, many people know that teachers get evaluated and they, you know, give us grading and kind of rankings to see how we can do better or where we're at. And when I tell you this lesson plan was everything, like it was everything and more. It had every standard. I was like, you know what? They're going to rename the school after me after this lesson plan. Okay. And I remember I, I went in, it was towards the end of the year and I went in to kind of do this final evaluation and I'm just waiting to get my trophy. Okay. And they gave me just kind of one notch under exemplary, which is like the highest, you know, ranking. And I asked the uh, the assistant principal, I said, you know, why? <laughs> I feel like I'm looking at the rubric. I'm looking at my lesson. You know, what's going on? And she said, you know, just newer teachers, you know, they just don't get exemplary. And I was like, okay, you know, that's the, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm over here, you know, killing myself and I have some of the highest test scores in the school. I'm doing all these things and I'm not even... I'm capped already. Like I'm, they're telling me I'm already too good and I can't get that recognition maybe for another five, 10 years. So that was kind of my inspiration to look and see something else. And the only other thing that I had liked was real estate. I didn't even know at the time to call it real estate, um, to even think I was that green 
in the past. It's crazy, but I was just like, yeah, I like watching those house shows. I like watching, you know, Flip or Flop, I think it was, you know, growing up and things like that. And um, I researched how to get into real estate. And one of the first things I came across was, you know, going to real estate school. So I just got, you know, I just joined real estate school and that's how it started. When you were a teacher and you kind of made that decision that you wanted to pursue real estate, at any time, were you afraid that you wouldn't have that security anymore as a teacher? In New York State, at least, teachers have a very nice kind of pension set up for them. And a lot of teachers I know, they they don't want to leave because they work for so many years and then they're set up and they have their pension for however many years or whatever. And it's very hard for them to wrap their mind around leaving because of those long-term benefits of being a teacher in New York State. And I don't know what it, it is in Florida, if it's any different, but how did you change your mindset to leave any kind of security that your job offered? I would say that the benefits probably are a little bit better in New York. Um, but I also was, you know, a rookie, I would say, like I've only been teaching for you know a couple of years. So I didn't have that long history ahead of me, but I did have a sentiment that I wanted to have an impact. I was, I was teaching at Title I schools, which are some of the, you know, most high risk, you know, schools that need passionate and educated teachers. And they were like, you know, you're the teaching Beyonce, you know, and like they I felt like I was having an impact. So the legacy that I knew I could have in education and the legacy that was in my family was what I was leaving, you know, this kind of history of being in education. But um, I realized that as I was, you know, in educating my students, I really wanted them to learn from me. I wanted them to follow their dreams. I wanted them to do what made them happy. And I felt like I was a hypocrite. Like I couldn't go every day telling my students something that I wasn't doing myself. So that was kind of gnawing at me. Um, and I was afraid, I would say, to get into entrepreneurship, which is what I learned real estate was, because I didn't, I still to this day hardly know any business owners from my kind of past life, from my upbringing. So it was a completely new world to me. And I wasn't sure um, what it was, what, what was going to be next. But I knew that I had to kind of follow my gut instinct that there was something more. Well, we are going to take a short break. And, you know, when we get back, I want to hear what is that next thing? Who was the person? What was the business? What was the thing that propelled you into real estate? So we'll be right back after this short break. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. 
That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Okay, so we are back with Amina and she has shared with us her teaching journey. And now we're starting into the transition into real estate agent and real estate investor. So Amina, what was that kind of breaking point and what were some of the things that happened during your life that kind of propelled you into your real estate journey? You know, as I mentioned, I started in in education and I decided to take that leap into real estate. And um, in between teaching in real estate, I took another job in between um, as an insurance adjuster. So I felt like I learned some systems and processes and I had to manage a high caseload of claims, which I didn't realize later would help me with the real estate investing and the retail real estate side. Um, but I kind of just was like, hey, if I'm going to go into entrepreneurship full time, I don't want something that's as time demanding and kind of as soul draining slash aliving. It was like it's both sides of the teacher, right? Um, as, as education. So I got a kind of job in the middle and I started to research, you know, what path I wanted to take in real estate. And a lot of people don't know this, but early on in that journey, I came across wholesaling, uh, uh, wholesaling on YouTube. And I was like, wow, like this is interesting. And, you know, there's Max Maxwell and there's all these people that are doing amazing things. And I had a little bit of like a identity crisis. So I was like, okay, do I want to get into real estate as like a real estate agent and just like have this new career and it kind of looks good on paper? Or do I want to do this real estate investing thing that like, you know, maybe isn't as popular, as common as what I was seeing people do, you know, in regards to the retail side. So I was researching kind of both things and I always researched a lot about real estate investing, but I kind of put that on the side until I got into the real estate retail side, started doing some deals. And then I came across a a friend of mine named Francisco and he told me about um, the wholesaling land queen. The wholesaling land queen is what I'll call her. Her name is Derby LaRock. And he was like, you know, you got to talk to Derby. You got to talk to Derby. I I see you're doing well on the retail side. I started, you know, building my business that way. But he's like, you know, there's something else that you should be looking into. 
And I'm like, you know, do I get distracted? A lot of times people will tell you, focus on one thing and do that well. And I had been doing that for, you know, two, three years at that point, doing it well. I finally talked to Derby and I found out that she was wholesaling land. And I thought that was interesting because I was really interested in wholesaling, but I I saw all the things online and on YouTube about how difficult it can be. You know, you got to do the ARV and the XYZs and the, you know, you got to do the, the walkthroughs and all these things. But Derby was teaching this strategy that seemingly made wholesaling a lot more accessible. So that's kind of what put the light bulb off and, you know, set the light bulb off that like, maybe there's a way that I can do both retail and wholesaling without it like killing me. Um, and without it, maybe taking all of my attention in one direction or another. I mean, let me, let me ask, right? Because it, it sounds like, and just to clarify, when you say retail, you're talking wholesaling, traditional single family homes. Is that what you mean when you say retail? Well, I'm a real estate agent, you know, my day job. You hadn't even started wholesaling yet. You were just selling homes as a, as a realtor, as an agent. Exactly. And I was networking, I was meeting people and I came across a friend that, you know, put me onto, you know, my, my real estate investing mentor, I would say. Gotcha. So why, you know, if you were doing well as an agent, what even like why even think about adding on the additional workload of wholesaling land like it's a you know obviously it's still in real estate but those are two completely separate skill sets to be able to you know find sellers and buyers as an agent and connect those and negotiate and all those things and then like doing wholesaling that's like a you know a whole different beast so i guess why even step into the world of wholesaling if you were doing well as an agent as i said earlier i like to follow my gut and remember at that point at which I kind of entered real estate, I was doing all my research and very early on, I found out about wholesaling and something just told me like, you need to look into that. And I kind of put that on the, the back burner because I felt like the more traditional, you know, real estate agent route was something that was a little bit easier for me and something that, you know, mimics a little bit like of that career focus that I had from teaching to real estate. But I still kind of had that interest in wholesaling and I, you know, I was on forums and things like that, like bigger pockets. And I would, you know, listen to different YouTubers. And I, and I realized that like, I'm an entrepreneur, right? I don't have to pick one, you know, one lane and stay in that. I want to learn everything that there is to know about real estate and figure out how to diversify my income and have multiple streams of income as, you know, as we all say, right? So I, I felt like it was something that I was interested in, but also that I should be doing, right? I shouldn't just pigeonhole myself as a residential real estate agent, I should figure out how I can get into investing myself. And what was really interesting about wholesaling, and many people know this, is that it's a lot of times a new real estate investor's way to build capital in order to invest in real estate. So remember I was saying back in the day and growing up, I loved all the flipping shows and things like that. But I, at the time, I didn't know much about you know creative financing or anything like that. And I know I needed to make you know, a decent amount of money to be able to do fix and flips or builds or anything like that. So wholesaling seemed like a rate, a really great entry point to be able to get into the real, real estate investing side and then later, you know, become a real estate investor myself. Amina, Tony and I hosted this uh, rookie meetup at a conference once and someone asked the question and said, I just don't know what value I bring to the table as a rookie investor. So we asked that person, we said, what job do you do now? And he goes, I'm a project manager. And we said, who here would like somebody to manage all their projects? You know, every hand shoots up. So with uh, being a teacher, an educator, what are some of the skills that you had developed from that career that kind of transferred over into real estate? I think one of the keys to success in any industry, but particularly in entrepreneurship, 
is to not allow, you know, the fact that you're green or you're a rookie or whatever to make you forget who you are, right? Like you are a whole human being. You have skills, you have assets, you have aptitudes that have transferable value and, you know, and skill sets in any industry, right? So I think that I brought my education self into real estate by, first of all, learning, you know, a lot of things. I didn't realize that a lot of people kind of just learn this and then learn that. And then they went on to this and then they need a mentor for that and a mentor for this. I'm like, what's going on, y'all? I'm in real estate now. Let me learn all there is to know, you know? And um, I think that just being kind of a wealth of knowledge helped me figure out how to navigate, navigate complex situations or problem solves, problem solve or find my value proposition, you know, in whatever kind of sector I was in. But specifically, I'm really good at breaking down, you know, complex processes, I'm really good at talking to people and managing emotions. I think a lot of times people don't realize that like there's a lot of psychology that goes into real estate transactions, right? Like, you know, getting people to sign, for example, you know, on the wholesaling side, we like to call it an agreement, not a contract, right? Because an agreement seems a lot more amenable. Like, oh, I'm just going to sign an agreement versus like sign this contract right now. I've never seen you before. I don't even know who you are. And you're some person that says that you know, you're going to buy my house for cash, right? Or my land for cash. So I think that I was really good at, you know, just educating myself so that I can educate others and then using systems and processes um, to break down, you know, the process so that I can help other people. Let's talk a little bit about the systems and processes because Ash and I are both big, like operational people and we want to systemize things as much as we can so that the the management is easier, right? The execution is easier. So as you transitioned into wholesaling land, what were some of the systems, the processes, the SOPs that you put in place to kind of usher you through that process? Because there's a lot that goes into it, right? You've got a market to find um, the sellers to find the people, the, the motivated sellers. You've got to have a process for outreach. Once you identify those people, you've got to have a process for communicating. There's the negotiation steps. There's the disposition. There's a lot that goes into wholesaling one transaction. So yeah, walk us through what your kind of checklist looks like. When I decided to embark on the wholesaling land part of my business, I brought in my best friend who knew nothing about real estate because I said, you know, I, I'm still, you know, a residential real estate agent and I want to make sure that, you know, we can do this business, we can scale it, but also the experience isn't horrible because I'm doing a hundred things at once. Right. So I actually brought in like a complete real estate rookie who never even thought, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and get into real estate. I just was like, Hey, I like their hustle. I know you're smart. I know you can catch on and I'm going to, you know, teach you how to do this. But that emphasize the importance that I had to document the processes because she knew nothing about real estate. You know, she didn't know anything about a CRM, anything about, you know, contracts, anything about a contract management system, anything about any of that. So to your point, I first had to document what is our process going to be, right? And um, part of that started with learning, you know, exactly what the steps are that I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit in regards to wholesaling land and then putting that into an SOP, right? So writing down, you know, first we do this, then we do that, et cetera. But then I knew, you know, that I needed to look to technology to figure out how I can make it easier for us to do this, right? Because I didn't want her calling me every five minutes trying to figure out what we should be doing or how to respond to the seller or how to find their contracts, right? So I knew that we needed technology. So the two kind of key two or three key pieces of technology that really helped us was you know a crm right that's where we texted the sellers and called them and kept all of the information about all of you know the leads and the parcels that we had 
as well as, you know, a contract management system. So we use Dotloop, um, but there's a ton of them. There's PandaSign, there's DigiSign, there's DocuSign, there's all types of contract management systems. And then we also use a project management system. And I, I had started using this on the retail real estate side because there's so many different parts of my business, you know, marketing my business and my sales and all that. And when you use a project management system, it can help you keep all that in one place. So the project management system that we use um, is called ClickUp. Um, there are other project management systems. There's Trello, there's Monday.com, there's, you know, Asana. Um, but we use ClickUp because in ClickUp, I can then, I don't want to just write down the SOPs. Let's put all the SOPs in ClickUp. And then every, like, I had them all organized by day. So on Mondays, this is what we need to do. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. And then we connected, right? Um, another system that we use is Zapier, which connects all the systems and makes them talk to each other. So we connected, okay, when we finally get a contract signed through our document signing platform, it automatically transfers that file and that alert that, hey, you have a new contract into ClickUp. And then we have a board on ClickUp that says, first, you know, you need to make sure everything on the contract is signed right. Then make sure it gets to the title company. Then make sure, you know, that the seller deposited or the buyer deposited the earnest money deposit. Then make sure that they pass the feasibility study or the inspection period. So I found that I was able to, through the systems, you know, of course, that's the whole point of them, make it easier for myself, but then also turn my best friend into a beast. You know, at some point, she's pretty much, she'll tell you this. She's like, I need to be on this podcast. You know, I was running a lot of the company, but it was true that, you know, with my connections, I was able to kind of put together this system that now a complete real estate rookie was able to take and help us scale to, you know, six figures in a few months. We want to touch on kind of what your checklist for actually buying the land looks like. And you touched on a lot of these pieces already, but at least on the acquisition side. But before I do, you mentioned that you brought in your best friend. Um, I've, I've struggled with that personally in my business where I've tried to bring in close friends and family. Um, but it's just like, not everyone has that desire, I guess, you know, like, like that drive, that hunger to really want to put in the work to be successful in this. Like I, I tried to launch a, uh, actually a wholesaling business with one of my friends. We did a couple deals. We made over six figures on, on a few deals, but he just kind of fizzled out. Uh, tried to bring someone else in to help with launching my property management business, someone that I knew and worked with in the past before, kind of fizzled out. So I, I don't know, like, did you struggle with that, bringing that person in? Or, or was this someone who was just very intrinsically motivated that, that was able to, to latch on and, and kind of execute well? You have to be honest with yourself in regards to whether or not you're ready, you know, to bring on someone. Because sometimes you can say, hey, I want to bring on a friend. And it's just because you want them to do all the work, right? Um, but if you don't bring them on and have, for example, systems and processes in place, it will be more difficult. Now, sometimes you got to just walk before you can run. But I would say that um, the better prepared you can set them up for success, the more likely they are going to be successful. So imagine if you're, you know, any job, right? Everybody can imagine if they haven't even worked there, what it's like to work at McDonald's. You know, I haven't worked there, but I can imagine, right? And it's like, imagine you go into McDonald's and they're like, hey, you know, start making some fries and, you know, turn out that patty. And you're like, what's going on? I have no idea where the buns are. Where's the grease? So I feel like, you know, that's one thing is that if you're going to bring in friends and family, you got to have something to bring them into. Um, and then I would also say that, you know, you have to be honest with yourself about whether or not they are the type of person that you think will be able, will, will sort of survive in this industry. Um, you know, I think with her, she had the natural kind of tenacity and go-getter mindset. Um, we definitely had our ups and downs and our struggles, but I think that um, she was motivated enough to say, you know what, I see this opportunity. And even when it's tough, like if we can figure this out, 
it's going to be, you know, it's going to work out. And sometimes it doesn't even necessarily have to be a super extremely long-term partnership, right? Like we, you know, you can make some money together and then figure out, okay, which is one of the things we did. Let's get a virtual assistant, right? And now the virtual assistant is running most of that. And now we're managing the virtual assistant or maybe, Hey, we did this partnership for a year or two. Now, you know, now we don't want to do it and we want to move on to something else. So I think just going into it um, with the right expectations is very helpful. Amina, you had mentioned briefly that this was a six figure business for you. Can you kind of go into more of how you made that happen? And, you know, what time frame was that? Was that pretty rapidly that with your systems and processes and your skills that you were able to to make six figures? Yeah, I would say the bulk of, you know, our outreach, you know, um, and acquisition efforts were made, let's say, in January of that particular year. And um, I would say almost all the money, I would say like we made a lot of money or a lot of contracts, a lot of dealings, a lot of relationships in that January, February timeframe. And then they were just closing, you know, after that. So they started closing in January. Some of them, you know, were quick contracts and then so on and so forth. After that, um, you know, we continue to do some deals, but at that scale, you know, because really I was like, hey, I want to get into this. I want to, you know, do some of it. I was like, we can do this. Let's put in a lot of effort, you know, these next couple of months. And then, you know, we started to see a lot of success. So I would say a testament to kind of having that clear vision to begin with. And then for me, I had the confidence. Like once I knew, okay, you solved that problem that I felt like in wholesaling, which was like a ton of time, a ton of effort. You're doing all this outreach. You're building your buyer list. You don't know if they're going to buy it, if they're not, right? Um, She simplified this process so much that I was like, okay, if we do what she says, we're going to make money. So let me make sure we have the back-end operations to support that. Um, and once we figured that out, like I said, it was it was pretty easy from there. That's amazing to be able to figure that out in a couple months and you're already getting contracts signed just starting in, in January. What? How did you know what your target audience was? How did you know who you were going to be, who's going to be your seller and how to find your buyers? How did you... Uh, kind of determine that. So the whole idea is that you find your end buyer first. And of course, in real estate investing and in wholesaling in general, there is this idea of building your buyer's list so that it's easier for you to disposition properties and things like that. But you can't go to step two until you have buyers and you know their criteria, you know where they are building, you know exactly what they want, you know exactly what they're going to pay for it. And you've even sent them maybe some tests. You can even make it up, right? You sent them some test emails and some test properties to see if they're going to buy it, right? And once you kind of have your three to five, let's say, builders that you feel like are going, you know, are, are, are solid, right? That you know that if I bring you exactly what you told me you wanted, you're going to buy it. Then you increase your marketing efforts and you go supply them with what they're looking for. You know, we particularly focus on infill lots or spot lots or just like single lots. Um, and... We have come across some like deals that we've been trying to put together on like larger parcels and subdivisions and things like that. But initially the focus is on like, you know, those single lots. And thankfully, you know, one of my fortes, I would say, or one of my specialties in real estate on the resale side, on the real estate agent side is new construction. So I know a lot about different builders and I know the different areas where there are single lot developments or where there are subdivision developments. So I remember this particular area was about an hour and a half away from Tampa but I remember every time I went out there, because I do have a wide radius, radius, I just remembered like that's the type of building they do out there. So I think for us, 
one thing that really helped us is that we were very quickly able to identify our market, which is the number one thing you want to do in this kind of reverse wholesale or this land strategy is identify your market and your buyers. So I was able to tell her, like, I didn't need to do research. I'm like, we're going here. This is where we're going. Like all the builders, like, you know, like, let's, let's kill it here. You know what I mean? And I would say that's the key to our success because I have friends that have started this strategy and they spend months trying to find that area that they feel confident in to go ahead and call those builders and invest that time and do that marketing. But I was certain because I already knew it. I mean, you hit on, on an incredibly important point of like choosing your market and really nailing that piece because not all strategies work well in all markets. So you really want to make sure that the city aligns. So I definitely want to get into how you chose your market, what data you looked at, what made you feel confident to make that decision. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our show sponsor. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Hiring, your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. All right, Amina, you just broke down uh, an amazing process of, of how you've kind of built your business. And, and right at the end, you mentioned the importance of choosing the right city. So first, I guess, tell us what city you're operating in. And then second, what was the, I guess, the data points you were looking at or just what it went into your decision to say, okay, this is the city that I want to work in? I don't usually give my secrets away, but I will, I will give it. I feel like there's a few people there now. So one of the things is trying to find that key market and then not necessarily giving that away to everybody, right? Because you want to build those relationships and you want to have those builders. But I will say that at the time, we were um, operating in Point Siena, Florida. So it's in a, an area outside of Kissimmee, which is close to Orlando for those that don't know, like Florida. And, you know, I think that's the beauty of like investing in real estate. Like, I mean, there's 19,000 cities in the U.S. And me being in California, Southern California, there's a bunch of cities over here that Ashley, being in Western New York, has never heard of. There's a bunch of cities in Western New York that I've never heard of. Same thing going down to Florida, like there's so many places that you wouldn't know unless you're in that area. So um, the city itself isn't as important. I think what's more important, I mean, is what did you see in that city that made you say, OK, cool, this is where we want to kind of put our flag on the ground and, and, and build our business? It's a part of the strategy is identifying the market, of course. And what you're looking for is what you're looking for. Right. So you, you have to believe that there are people out there. There are a bunch of builders out there that build, you know, single lots or they want to buy five lots in this area or 10 lots or 20 lots or 30 lots. And you just have to find where that activity is happening. So you can use different tools. You can use Zillow. You can use Zillow to see if you can't find the lots, you can find the new construction that looks like this kind of archetype of a home that she's talking about, right? Not necessarily in some huge subdivision, but just a single new construction lot in a particular area. So you're researching different areas where you see a lot of that type of development, right? Again, you can use tools. The free ones are Zillow. As a real estate agent, I have a few other tools that come with my MLS and things like that. So I was able to use some more tools. But I think, as I was saying before the break, that um, I already knew it. 
like I was certain because I had been out there. So I go out to Orlando and I shop, you know, with buyers for new construction. And I had been, it's funny because the area that we decided to focus on, my when I found out about it because it's in between, like I said, uh, Kissimmee and Orlando. And um, one of my clients that was shopping in that area was like, I will not live in Poinciana. I don't care what you tell me. I don't like Poinciana because it's like a, it's interesting. It's like a little city, but like, um, it's like one way in and one way out. Like, it's just like the traffic's not the best. It's a little bit, it's interesting. I said, for anybody that knows that, if you know, you know, so she's like, she's just like, I will never live there. Um, but I remember she got desperate because the market was crazy and um, we went there. So I was able to go there with her and look at houses. And I saw all these different, like single, you know, single lot, you know, new construction homes. And I just noted that, right? And then after that time period, I had been there a few other times. So I just knew that there's a lot of development there. So like I said, as soon as I found out, hey, the first step is to identify the market where people are building these type of homes. I'm like, I already know, you already know. But it was solidified by us kind of researching and making sure that, you know, we could find builders in the area that were actively still acquiring land. Amina, I have a resource that I've used before. I don't know if it would work for single family as much, but more for commercial development, like apartment complexes or things like that, is looking at the crane index. So it's like rlb.com, I think, and you can actually see how many cranes are in a city and if the amount of cranes have decreased or increased, which shows you how much actual development is going on in that city right now, too. So that's kind of like a, a cool virtual tool that you can use to to see the development of a city. But what about job industries? Were there any job industries in that city that kind of drew you to that? Not particularly. I mean, of course, there's job industries that draw people to the greater Orlando and greater Tampa area. You know, we, you know, education, healthcare, finance. These are, you know, major industries here that draw you know, people from all over the country. And then what happens is because, you know, of affordability, that area is more affordable. So because of affordability, people are pushed to the outskirts, you know, of the particular city center or outskirts in the metropolitan area. So that's kind of why you'll see a lot of development happening in between kind of two major cities. So the industries kind of flow over into the, you know, surrounding areas. When I think about that part of Florida, I mean, obviously I think about I don't know, Disney, like comes to mind and like all the all the vacation and tourism. Uh, are there any other big economic drivers in that area that you saw that was kind of driving a lot of that uh, new construction? Yeah, I would just say we have Disney. You know, we obviously have, I mean, come on, we got the beach. We got the weather. Yeah. People always want to come. Who doesn't want to live where it's like 24-7 summertime and the living is easy, right? So, I mean, sometimes we don't think about the weather as an industry, but it really is. It promotes tourism and it promotes people that just want to come and retire here or want to relocate here if they are remote. Um, but then also I would just say education and healthcare are huge here, right? You know, we have some of the biggest schools in the country, primary and secondary level to the college level as well. Like we have the biggest colleges, you know, and universities, you know, in the country. A lot of them fall in Florida and the central Florida region as well. One thing I'm curious about, because like where where I live and, and I'm in Southern California outside of Los Angeles, um, a suburban town there's just not a lot of like infill development. Like there's big subdivisions being built all over the place, but you very rarely see a single lot that someone's developing into a home. It just doesn't happen as often. So uh, I guess, is there a way to even know, like <laughs> maybe you touched on this a little bit already, but it's a slightly different thing to look at, but just like 
how do you even know if there's enough lots in your land to buy or in your city to buy? Is there, is there a way to look that up? That's why choosing a market is very important. Like some people just say, oh, hey, I want to choose my market, right? Like I don't like, as you, as I told you, Montana is about an hour or so, hour and a half away. I'm not wholesaling land in Tampa mostly. You know what I mean? Like every now and then there's a deal that comes up, but you know, you have to find that market because we're densely populated. We have, you can tear down a house and build on it, right? But we don't just have a ton of lots just sitting around, right? So you have to find that market. And one of the ways that you can do that, like I said, is going on Zillow, like I said, and seeing where these other, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be a lot. It can just be where are all the, all the other infill, you know, single new construction homes popping up, right? That indicates to you that there's how there's land around there somewhere. But then also you can use tools like PropStream, LandGlide, LandVision, these are all three tools that you can use to, um, you know, look for lots, you know, but what we usually do is first try to identify the areas that you likely should dive a little bit deeper into um, where you see some of this development. And then you use, you know, tools, like I said, PropStream, LandGlide, LandVision to really try to find, you know, the property owners. I mean, I love that you mentioned PropStream. Ash and I talk about PropStream a lot. And I, I know in that tool, you can actually filter by like parcel type and there's land is one of those, like vacant land is one of those options. So I guess if you were to go into your city, go into your town or whatever city you're thinking about and you see very minimal uh, results when you filter down to vacant land, that could be a telltale sign that maybe your city isn't, isn't the best one. Like, you know, I think about actually where you're at, like there's probably, a, I don't know, a bunch of land, right? But it's all like 300 acres out there the, the, if you wanted to go out there and do it in your neighborhood. So I guess every city is going to be a little bit different. That's what I was going to say, not just hyper-focusing on the land itself, but like, I think the light bulb moment came when I realized like, let me just focus on the product. Like I'm looking for people that build or I'm looking for, you know, what will ultimately be a new construction home, you know, on a lot, maybe that's not in some big subdivision. We do that as well. So, I mean, that depending on your area, that might be more what you find. But once you find that, it's like where there's smoke, there's fire, right? It's like the smoke was, hey, they're building a lot of what, you know, we see on Zillow that there's a bunch of those homes in this area. So that means there's got to be some land or we're going to try to find the land in that area. We're going to try to find the builders in that area. And then some of that confidence that you'll get is when you call the builder and you ask them, for example, one of the key questions I like to ask is like, one of the key questions I like to ask is, you know, how many parcels are you looking to acquire this year? Or are you still buying in this area? Um, you know, what's your capacity, right? Because you might think, oh my gosh, I got this. I found this builder. I'm going to find him a bunch of land. You start spending all your marketing dollars, marketing the sellers. You bring them 10 lots or two lots. And they're like, yeah, we're good with our quota for this year, for this quarter, right? So part of the things that, you know, part of the strategy is, finding, again, that area, finding the builders in the area, and then also qualifying these builders, right? Making sure that you don't just go to an area and spend all your money and your time, and you have somebody that might buy one lot. You know what I mean? Find the, find the builders that are like, hey, I want to buy 20 lots in this area, right? 30 lots. I'll buy as many as you'll bring me. That's what you want to hear, right? Um, and then you know, okay, if I get five, six, you know, builders that are telling me that they have a lot of capacity, and then I'm in this area where I, I know there's land and I see that this is, there's a development popping up. You know, this is a good area to focus my efforts in. Are there opportunities that you're seeing out there right now that are being missed by other real estate investors? Like a lot of people are focusing a lot on homes, but land is, you know, a really repeatable and scalable strategy. And one of the beautiful things about it is that you don't have to worry about a lot of the things that you have to worry about 
when you're focusing on houses, right? Because again, I, you know, houses are great as well. Obviously I'm a real estate agent. I know that, right? But what's cool about land is it really simplifies it. And I do think it's a great strategy for rookies because when we're talking about ARV, you know what the ARV is? What the builder tells you. They tell you, these are my parameters to buy in this area. I want, and of course you're going to qualify. You're going to ask them these questions. So these are the type of questions you're going to ask. You know, how big do you need the lots to be? You know, do they have utilities or not? Um, or, or do you require them to have utilities or not, right? Um, if it has an endangered species on the lot, you know, will you buy it or not? If so, how does that change the price? What's your maximum price in this area? Once you do all that qualification, you're not really trying to underwrite the deal. You're underwriting it to the needs of your client because it essentially becomes your buyer when you realize, hey, I have somebody that told me that if I can find them this, 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 and this, I will buy it. That's so, you feel so much more confident trying to put together your deals, trying to find that land when you know for a fact they're going to buy it if I give them what they're looking for. So um, I honestly forgot how I got off on the tangent, but just remember that. <laughs> I mean, I do want to know, have you bought a lot with an endangered species on it? That's why I was literally thinking the same thing. <laughs> okay, so we learned the hard way, right? <laughs> you know, one thing you'll see a lot in this region is uh, turtles or, or turtle nests. And what will happen is that, you know, turtles are an endangered species. And you can't just say, hey, I'm going to buy a lot, clear the land, and to hell with these turtles, right? You're going to be in somebody's jail. Peter's going to get you. So <laughs> you got to make sure that um, the lot, you know, doesn't have this, you know, doesn't have any kind of endangered species like turtles. Or if it does, a lot of times they cost a lot. They have to bring in, a, uh, they cost a lot of money to remove. So they have to bring in uh, a separate company to come in, remove the nest, remove the turtles one by one. And I mean, it could be upwards of like $7,000 plus per turtle. So you can imagine if you think you have this deal, you're good. You're going to make this money. You got all, you know, you got it. And now you have to go back to your, you know, either the, the buyer and say, hey, it has turtles. Do you want it? And of course, either some some builders don't deal with it at all. Right. So you need to know who just is like out if there's this indigenous species or if they do, they're going to come down and have you lower the price dramatically. And I mean, usually even more than what is, you know, required just in case. Right. So now you got to go back with your tail between your legs to the, you know, to the seller and try to keep the deal together. So um, that's definitely a pro tip is making sure that you're asking those questions, you know, when you're talking to sellers or even preparing them. Right. So expectation setting is a part of systems that people may not talk about, you know, setting expectations on how the process is going to go. So when I'm talking to the sellers, I'm like, hey, here's how it's going to go. We're going to get the deal. Um, you know, we're going to close it in this amount of time. However, we have this what we call feasibility study, which is the inspection period on land. And during this time, you know, we're going to make sure that the land is suitable to build. Um, and some of the things that might come up that would make the land unsuitable or not suitable would be if it's a wetland and we can't, you know, we'd have to build up the land to a certain point to even build, right? Or um, if there's an endangered species, you know, we would have to maybe significantly come down on the price or, you know, cancel the deal altogether. Do you know if there are any endangered species on your lot? Have you ever heard about any nests on your lot? When's the last time you've been to the lot, right? There's certain indications as well that you can have that tell you, hey, maybe I need to go and drive that lot because you can do this virtually and your market doesn't have to be anywhere near where you are. So you can be in Tokyo wholesaling land, you know, in Orlando, right? But um, if you have some indications that there may be an issue with the lot or maybe there's something you need to go and look at, that's when you want to say, hey, let me drive the lot. Let me send somebody out there to drive the lot. Or what I love about a lot of builders is that they have their own land acquisition specialist or whatever. So they go drive the lot. So again, another, you know, barrier to entry is kind of absolved there because a lot of times with 
wholesaling houses, you know, you're hoping that the inspection or the walkthrough goes well, right? Whereas a lot of times before you even get the land under contract, a lot of the builders will already have one of their representatives go and put their eyes on it. So you feel very confident and like, this deal is going to go through. I'm giving them the price that they want. It's in the area they want. They're building a bunch of other houses over here and somebody's already put their eyes on it. Now let me just make sure I don't mess this up <laughs> on the back end. We had uh, something happen in a property we purchased. It wasn't an endangered species. It was uh, more of a nuisance, but we had beavers that had taken over three of the ponds while they would dam up the drainage flow that went under the driveway and shove all their mud and sticks in there. And, you know, my business partner would be out there some days with a shovel, digging it back out or whatever. Well, it ended up overflowing, washed out our $27,000 driveway flooded one of the cabins and our brand new cabinets had been in there, but luckily they, they didn't get ruined. They were kind of over to the other side, but completely washed out the driveway. And with the beavers, you can't really do anything with them. You have to hire a certified trapper, somebody who has a trapper's license to trap them and, you know, either take their fur, remove them from the property. But, um, yeah, it was like a huge hassle ordeal. And like we eventually found somebody who was a licensed trapper to come and they kind of do it as a as a hobby. But um, we are finally beaver free, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> Since it's story time, I got to I got to share my story. So we also had an endangered species at one of our properties, but it was actually a plant. So we invest near Joshua Tree and the, you know, the, the Joshua Tree is an endangered species in California. So we had one in our front yard and um, it, it, we've had a few issues with this tree. The first issue was that uh, we had a septic issue at that property and we had to dig to get to the septic tank but they wouldn't let us dig because the tank was too close to the Joshua tree. Oh my God. So before any plumber could go in there and do work, we had to get a certified arborist how you become a certified arborist, I don't even know. <laughs> they gave us no, there's not even like a list of the county to say like, hey, here are the people that you should. So we just had to like ask around the city to say like, who knows a certified arborist? And they came in and did whatever they had to do to to approve it. But the, the last part of the story is that the tree eventually fell over. There was like super high winds in Joshua Tree one day. And the tree literally just fell over on its own. So it was out of the ground. Like the roots were up. It was just laying there sideways. We couldn't even move the tree without getting approval. Yeah, this whole endangered species thing is, is, is pretty crazy, pretty real. If the real estate business ever goes belly up, I know I can go trap beavers, I could go move turtles, or I could <laughs> move some, some Joshua trees, and I'm probably doing just fine. So uh, Amina, you shared a, a lot of great content um, on today's call, really appreciate that. I guess what I'm curious with is like, what do you feel is next for you in real estate investing? Like now that you've, you've done this a few times, you, you've built a successful business, what, what's next? I really want to develop, you know, I want to get into, I was thinking about the fix and flip strategy, but the more that I work with developers um, on both, you know, the wholesaling side and on the, you know, residential real estate side, I'm just really attracted to, you know, creating a product that, you know, an end buyer, like a retail buyer would love, right? So I want to bring, you know, homes to the market and I want to partner with some of the you know, industry professionals and, and, and providers and things like that, that I've met along the way to make that happen. So, you know, I don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but I'm super excited to, um, you know, figure out, you know, how I can get there and, you know, put a product on the market that I would love so that, that I would love to sell, you know, to my, you know, my retail buyers. Well, Amina, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there any last tips that you have for a first time home buyer? I would say that my favorite quote 
is that if you can see it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. And I think that, you know, my entire journey started with just this thought that maybe there was something more, right? And I didn't look at the top of the mountain and think, you know what, I'm going to be there tomorrow. I just took it step by step. It's a simple Google search, how to get into real estate. And then I kept an open mind and I allowed it to, you know, take me in so many different directions, right? When I first started, I never thought that I would, you know, build a business, you know, in real estate on the residential side, that I would have like 70 agents that I recruited to the brokerage that I would work for, that I would have a TV show about first-time home buyers, that me and my best friend would partner to, you know, start a, you know, a wholesaling land company. So, you know, it all started with just that thought and not psyching myself out. And I love the stories that you guys gave about how you, you know, navigated some of those, you know, endangered species and some of those problems, because I think a lot of times when new agents or new investors come across an issue, they think that that's the end of me, right? Or no one, you know, Amina wouldn't go through this. Or, you know, Ashley and Tony, if I was better, if I was more like them, they wouldn't go through this. And it's like, these things happen. You just got to kind of, you know, charge into the game. And, and if you can stay in it, then you can be successful. You just got to find your way. I mean, I love, love, love that advice. Now, one last question. And I think this might be the most important question of the show. Now, you host a TV show called uh, First Time uh, Home Buyers Club, and I, I happen to know that this show is on Oprah Winfrey's network. We have been trying diligently to get Oprah on this Ricky podcast. <laughs> Can you make the connection for us? <laughs> you know what? This business is all about building relationships, and you never know when it's going to come in handy. So I'm going to put that in my pocket. And, you know, when I meet her, because I haven't yet, <laughs> I might just have to slip her, you know, you know, slip her, slip her, y'all. Slip, slip the name in there. Yeah, your your there phone you number, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, 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 need, we need Auntie Oprah on the, TV, on, on, on the Rookie Podcast, so, so get her over here. Well, Amina, just to wrap up, like, thank you for the mini masterclass on exactly the systems you use to build out your processes. Like, I don't think we've ever had such a great breakdown and then sharing your experience with having a mentor and how important that can be. And then also just learning about land deals and doing your due diligence, what you need to know um, when you're considering purchasing property, whether to wholesale, to flip or whatever to build on. Um, thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. If you want to learn more about Amina, or you want to ch check out her TV show, we're going to link all of her information into the show notes. You can find them in the description below on your favorite YouTube channel, Real Estate Rookie, or on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Ashley and he's Tony. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. 
There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.